at the State House. The Republican agenda takes shape. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. William Hershey, Statehouse Reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Michael Cole, Democratic Strategist. And Leah Sellers, Professor at Ohio Northern College of Law. There is a new legislature in town, and they are setting their agenda, and it leans much more to the right. Since they regained control of the House and the governor's office, Republicans are pushing bills that did not get a lot of attention over the past few years under a Democratic House and Governor Strickland. Of course, there is the privatization of the state's business development office. There's also a bill to offer tax credits, reform the public employee pensions and limit the power of public employee unions, and to increase limits on abortion. Bill Hershey, Republicans promised a new direction, and legislation, at least the, the rundown, reflects it. We're getting it. If there were any lingering doubts about who won the November election, <laughs> they should have been extinguished just on Tuesday. Yeah. That's when the House overwhelmingly, on along partisan lines, one Democrat voted by mistake for it, for the Jobs Ohio privatizing the economic development plan. And then the next day, uh, Republicans rolled out three anti-abortion law. I think the most significant one is uh, banning uh, late-term abortions. And then uh, about the same time, Senator Shannon Jones introduced her bill to uh, basically do away with collective bargaining for state employees. Now, I don't know if they'll go that far. But just to put a bookend on all this, it was a big uh, week for Mike DeWine, too, the Republican Attorney General. He changed courses and made Ohio part of the uh, lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the federal health care overhaul, and a judge upheld that. So uh, Republicans were firing on all five, six, or seven cylinders <laughs> last week. Is this uh, are they going out too fast? I mean, are all these bills going to pass? What's the long-term projection of whether or not these bills pass, Reggie? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're going out too fast, but I certainly think that um, th there's a possibility that they may only have this short window to try to get uh, such a, a conservative and very aggressive agenda across. Governor Kasich has already said himself that he, he believes he's going to be a pretty unpopular governor for these first couple of uh, two years because of the budget uh, situation. So if that's the case, you know, you may lose some seats uh, the Republicans may in the legislature in 2012 so there's a window here that they're going to try to take advantage of they got to be aggressive and uh, what's going to pass I mean I think a lot of it's got a chance but I think I still think they're going to have to deal with the budget before they get to a lot of passing a lot of these particular bills Michael jobs are they the priority versus jobs. social issues like abortion and gun control and that kind of thing jobs should very much be the first priority without question I mean Reggie hit it right on the head budget Budget, budget, budget. Without that, we can't put anything else in the priority at all. Leah, is there a chance that this could backfire? We mentioned that the short window, the governor could become unpopular. If you take on unions so strongly, they could mobilize, bring out the vote in 2012 and 2014. Let's hope not. Let's, uh, let's hope that uh, there's, there's time for um, Kasich to, to move at the speed of business right now and then go back and uh, smooth out the feathers if he needs to uh, before, before it's too late. I think Reggie made a really good point. This is kind of exciting last week with this flurry of activity, but it's all just a warm-up act. March 15th is going to be budget, budget, budget. Mm -hmm. 
until uh, June 30th, if a budget is approved by then. If we remember the last Strickland budget kept going on and on and on, there wasn't enough money to balance it. And uh, so this is sort of exciting, but it is budget, budget, budget. Mm -hmm. But along the lines of the budget, the public employee unions in particular, that we expect push for changes there. Is that a big fight that we're going to see that's coming from the, from the right? That's, that's, that's a, I mean, that's putting on some big gloves and getting into a big battle. Um, I think that collective bargaining is really the wrong way to go in terms of demonizing what is virtually the lifeblood of your state employee. I mean, it, it is those collective bargaining units um, that work for private entities or work for public entities. You can't demonize those folks. I think the way to look at it is revising our tax structure, looking at some different things and how we shore up our administrative costs. I think going a different direction outside of just going after public employees who are collective bargaining units is, is a tough haul. But, but your approach, the approach you suggest, has been, you know, it was, that's the one that, that they tried before and it failed. And so it, nothing's off the table. It can't be off the table. And I think it's, it's very politically brave of Kasich to take on the, uh, to, your, the union. to your point earlier, uh, though, Mike, um, just by introducing it right now uh, with the budget, it's going to take you know, precedence real soon here. I think the collective bargaining uh, bill itself, it, it does, it, there is a tendency for where it may hang around for so long that it may, you know, be an end of the year thing. By then, everyone's already starting to look towards the 2012, you know, general election. And so I do think there is a, there is a danger for Republicans that this bill just hanging out there is going to give unions a chance to mobilize and, 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 you know, maybe vote against Republicans next year. Republicans have been trying to do this for 27 years, I think. I'm maybe the only one who was here in 1983 <laughs> when it passed. It passed on party lines. Democrats, for that two-year window, held all the power, just like Republicans do now. They rammed the collective bargaining bill through. Uh, it's been a big plus for them in terms of fundraising. I agree with him that uh, I don't know what good it is to demonize public employees if you demonize school teachers, Absolutely. policemen, and firefighters, there may be a backlash. Absolutely. Uh, it may be courageous or it may be foolhardy. We'll, we'll see. One, well, more th one more thing on this yeah. on there is that there's a push to put it before the voters as early as next November to exclude, change the Constitution to exclude Ohio from the federal health care law. Is that going to go anywhere? talked to the Attorney General about that and he was polite. I think he likes the lawsuit. Uh, this could, it might go somewhere, but it could be superfluous too if the lawsuit is successful. And, uh, and so far, uh, the Republicans seem to be doing all right and they have an advantage in the U.S. Supreme Court too. That's right. Looking ahead to 2012, <laughs> is there any chance that amendment gets on the ballot in 2012 and could it be used to bring out either side's vote in the presidential election? I think it could be now. a big, big mobilizing factor for the president, especially if our economy starts to see some bit of success with that. Without question, it can be a major mobilizing factor, especially for a middle-class enclave that feels like they're voiceless. And if they, they fall on the Democratic side, who knows? We could see another, we could see the same 2012 that we saw in 2008. I it's, it's with anything uh, with these issues that make it onto the ballot. It's going to be how it's worded as well, because mm -hmm. it's such a, a, a huge item in itself. And uh, it's going to be very complicated. There's very many pieces where people will agree with, pieces that they won't agree with. So I think how you maybe word something like that on a ballot, which is going to be a presidential year, so you're going to have more voters coming out, I, I think that will probably be one of the biggest keys there. And if 
if health care does not pick up the popularity, as the president and Democrats hope, Leah, the, the Tea Party and Republicans could use that issue to mobilize their forces to Absolutely. do away with health care reform. Absolutely, and that's been, that's been a, a tactic that we've seen before with other issues. Let's get to our next topic. One thing Republicans have stopped is implementing the governor's, Governor Strickland's education reform plan. The first to go, the mandate for districts to offer all-day kindergartens. Superintendent Deborah Delisle told districts they don't have to comply with that mandate if it will cost money, which of course it will. Strickland's other reforms included limiting class sizes and extending the school year. Reggie Fields, so if the governor, Governor Kasich, and lawmakers do away with former Governor Strickland's ed reform plan, what do they replace it with? Well, that's where we're waiting for the details is what do you put in its place? Uh, but what we're, what we're you know, quickly learning is what we just now talked about with the agenda that's been set out. A lot of this is sort of the agenda of the governor himself. He's he made it a campaign promise to get rid of the, the current education funding model. Uh, he never really told us what he would replace it with, but now we see legislation to do um, just that. Now, you mentioned that uh, Superintendent Delisle had uh, told them essentially what she did is she exercised uh, uh, an opportunity for her to push that mandate back by one year. Mm -hmm. But it's the legislation is the only way that it completely yeah. can be done away with. Um, she doesn't. I, I know it's been reported otherwise, but yeah. I don't believe she has the authority to, to make that decision on her own. She's basically seeing the writing on the wall saying, right. don't implement this for a year if the legislation is going to get pulled back in a year, basically but, is what she's but saying. But not only that, she also, she sent actually a uh, retracted statement out to school districts today clarifying her position on that, saying that the dispatch mischaracterized that. What she actually said is, is that uh, she, the kindergarten, all day kindergarten is still very much in place. It is very much in place. The pending legislation is House Bill 30. That's kind of on the table and she's waiting for that. She's exercising the other authority that you just talked about. But she said very much that all day kindergarten is still in play. But the school districts are going to say, yeah, it's a great idea, all day kindergarten, who's going to pay for it? And that's been the, that's been yeah. the argument against Absolutely. the Strickland plan all these years. That's exactly what they're going to say. Uh, the Strickland plan in many ways is sort of a phantom plan. The evidence-based model with no money. So uh, I, I don't think there was much to dismantling it because uh, it had not been, much of it had not been implemented yet. Now if, if Kasich dismantles the Ed Reform Plan, which is supposed to make Ohio's education system, public education system, constitutional, do, do we now become unconstitutional again? Do we get Duralf back <laughs> and get to talk about this again? Will well, you? well, then in that case, we've been unconstitutional for many years yeah, because, as uh, as Bill notes, mm -hmm. the the uh, evidence-based model was never fully implemented. It was just a pie-in-the-sky dream, a wish list of what would be great for some children, not so great for other children. So, uh, so no, we're not we're not we're not any in a, any different position than we were before. But I think what we've seen with much of the governor's uh, agenda al already and what's already come out of the legislature to sort of support that, uh, I think this governor has an idea what he wants to do. He seems to have an I ideas for a lot of these different areas. He just hasn't told everyone else yet exactly what it is. But I'm, I'm pretty certain. They, I mean, they just recently seated uh, the education board. Um, I'm sure there's still a decision to be made um, in regards to Superintendent Delisle herself. And so I believe maybe um, uh, once they get all the kind of the steps and sort of the procedure orders out of the way, I think then we will begin to hear a little bit more about what exactly um, they want to do in terms of the education. What budget. he said during the campaign in the early days of his administration, he wants the dollars to go more towards the student into the classroom. 
than what is occurring now, whatever that means. But so we'll have to see what that means. More vouchers, more charter schools, that kind of thing. Is that what we're looking at, Leah, do you think? I, I'd hope so. I'd hope. And, and given his uh, position on this, um, this um, case in, in Akron, uh, where the mother sent her uh, children to a school, a better school, um, in her mind it was better. That's another uh, case's position was, you know, this, this is a little strange that she's been uh, you know, charged with a felony. So, yes, I think it's, a, it's the poster child for, uh, for uh, charter schools, and, and that's the way Kasich is going. Does she become the poster child for education reform? It's, it's Williams Bowler is her name. Mrs. Sorry, Williams yeah. Bowler. Yes, right. And um, she uh, put her student in a better school district, you know, mm -hmm. basically lied to get the student into the mm -hmm. school district and has been charged with a felony and really has come, you know, She's going to be kind of a, a person uh, celebrated by those who support right. vouchers and, mm -hmm. and charters. Right, because you've already got to, as, as Leah was saying, mm -hmm. uh, we have our Republican governor already siding with her. And then today, one of the Democratic uh, state senators introduced some legislation that would also support her case. I mean, let's, just, I mean, let's be honest. Um, she, she's not the only person who's doing yes, this yes, and has been yes. doing it for many, years. many years. Yes. So she has been, you know, uh, held out there as the poster child because of the way they charged her and convicted her. But uh, something needs to be done because she's not the only one, you know, doing this. Whoever had her put in handcuffs, I don't right. think really has very good public relations <laughs> consultants. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. All right. The fights over privatizing state services and education reform could be tough, but the biggest budget fight could come over Medicaid spending. Medicaid is health care assistance for low-income and disabled Ohioans. Basically, two-thirds of its funding come from, comes from the feds. The other third comes from the state. But if you look at the pie that makes up the state budget, that big slice, that big blue slice there, that's Medicaid. It makes up 40% of the state budget. If lawmakers are going to balance the state budget and erase that $8 billion deficit, Medicaid faces some big changes. Bill Hershey, that means cutting benefits or cutting reimbursements, correct? Oh, cutting benefits, cutting reimbursement, charging people for services, or booting people off. Just this week, uh, Health and uh, Secretary uh, Sebelius uh, told Governor Kasich and others that we're going to try to help you. We don't want you to lose your federal funding. Here's how, here are some ways you can do it. You can charge for some of these services, you can limit some of the services, or you can boot people off. The fear is that the federal uh, stimulus money has run out that helped pay for Medicaid. So the state's going to face without that to keep things the way they are, I think a 40, 49 percent yeah. increase in funding. And the money's not there. Uh, and, you know, we remember the Pac-Man uh, theory of Medicaid. And it is. It just keeps gobbling up more and more of state dollars. So what's the solution? Is it, will this crisis force, re I mean, real structural reforms, keeping patients in, in, in home-based settings, which are less expensive than nursing homes and that kind of thing? That's a big thing because so much is paid to nursing homes. Uh, there will always be pushback on this in Ohio. Every time efforts are made to reduce nursing home care, the nursing home lobby seems to do pretty well at resisting it. So what, how do we see that battle shaping up, Reggie? Well, I think uh, you asked what the solution is. Uh, 
I don't think anyone knows. I mean, governors have been trying to, to solve this problem for probably the past couple of uh, decades now. Um, what I don't think, despite the fact that um, uh, Governor Kasich signed a letter kind of, you know, looking at the options in terms of kicking people out of Medicaid, I don't think that's going to be their first option, though. I, I think there there is a belief that there is a lot of fraud and there's a lot of inefficiency in the way mm -hmm. services are delivered um, um, through Medicaid in the state of Ohio. And I think that you'll see um, um, this administration try to address those um, avenues, um, you know, before we start thinking about kicking people out of Medicaid altogether. Uh, I believe something like maybe 5% of all people who are on Medicaid eat up about 40 or 50% of the actual dollar spent in Medicaid. I think that's what they're going to try to go after. How can we maybe deliver the services to those 5% without them eating up such a huge chunk of the, the budget itself? I would second that and even add that I think that they'll still take a look at those optional benefits that otherwise could not be appropriated, whether it's the dental, whether it's the eye. Now, I, I think that the Democrats might give some pushback on that because that's a big issue, particularly for some with their own constituencies that, that suffer with these, these problems. But I do think that they'll also take a look at that optional benefit piece as well. Leah, the, the hospital and the nursing home lobby is pretty strong here. Does it is does the governor have the, the political will and political ability to try to lower those reimbursement rates, which are higher, a little bit higher than the national average? Well, didn't he give them their warning? He gave yeah. them their fair warning, right? Get on the bus or yeah. it's going <laughs> to run you over. <laughs> and so lobbyists, sorry, you know, this is the way it is. Everything, back to the, the same themes through this entire discussion, everything is on the table. Okay. Government is a pendulum, of course. It swings one way and then the other. And 15 years ago, the calls were for tougher prison sentences for criminals, mandated minimum sentences, and three strikes and you're out. Now, whether it's a realization that get tough sentencing doesn't work or get tough sentencing costs a lot of money, the pendulum is swinging back the other way. There are now calls for fewer jail sentences and more treatment. And a new report says those changes could save the state $62 million. Leah Sellers, there was a time if you pushed for prison reform, you were labeled. You were tarred and feathered with the label soft on crime. That's, is those, are those days over now? Uh, it sounds like it. I guess Senator Bill Seitz has been from a Republican from Cincinnati area has been working on this issue for a while. I liked what he said about it, uh, that you can't fit um, 10 pounds in a 5-pound bag. And, <laughs> you know, this is just something that has to happen. We've got to cut costs. And uh, there is maybe additional science as well on community control and treatment and the, the uh, w whether those work or don't that perhaps wasn't available uh, back when the pendulum was the other way. Yeah. But, but certainly, yes, it's, it's the pendulum moving again. So is it the cost that's driving this, or is it, as Leah said, the better science and better understanding of what's I, going on? I think the better science, better understanding is more the altruistic side of it. Reality speaks it. She said it. Leah's right. $62 million looking at being cut over four years' time. 4,500 uh, inmates looking to be transitioned into some manner of programming uh, who are happen to be, you know, felony four, felony five, low felony offenders who may be trans, you know, kind of transferred into different things that are a little more cost effective. I think the altruistic side of it makes a heck of a lot of sense, though. We've known that for a long time that you cannot rehabilitate under these short prison terms yep. 
these groups of men and women who otherwise need treatment. Let's look at this some is of those a medical p issue. Health let's look issue. at some of those numbers from the Council on State Governments. The report found basically a revolving door when it comes to the low-level drug offenders. In 2008, Ohio put 10,000 low-level offenders in prison. Their average sentence was nine months. It cost the state $189 million in that one year alone. Those prisoners had minimal services for addiction and rehabilitation, and when they got out, only basically three-quarters of them had no supervision, no parole, no probation supervision when they got out. So you're in jail for nine months, $189 million, you're back on the street in basically the same position you were when you left. And that goes to what uh, Leah said about what happens if we do this. If there are not community-based programs to help these people, we'll be back, we'll, the pendulum will swing again. I think back to when we deinstitutionalized mental health patients and community care was going to be all the rage and we had an upsurge in homelessness because services were not provided. The question is whether the legislature and the governor will provide the money needed to do what you just said. I, th I think also, which is which is key about what we uh, learned this week with this bill introduction, was that uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor was also there at the press conference and very much in support of uh, this this piece of legislation. And the reason why I think that's key is because it gets back to your earlier point when you were uh, saying, you know, people being concerned about being soft on crime, or the people who are most concerned about that typically are judges. You know, worried about if they don't sentence someone to a max or near the max, then once they're up for re-election, they're going to be hit with that, very, that, and that is a very effective line come campaign time, oh, yeah, and absolutely. judges know that. So I think with Maureen O'Connor being there, making that very point herself, I think is, is very significant in terms of maybe this time you'll see some sort of prison reform package go through as opposed to the last two um, efforts in the legislature. Well, bear in mind, too, that this is also something that's been going on since 2008 in terms of this CSG study that was put together. That was a bipartisan effort um, that not only involved legislators, folks from the judiciary, but also bureaucrats, police officers, a whole myriad of folks um, who were part of this study and part of this research that precipitated this legislation. So I, it, it's, it's so much bigger than just the folks that we're just kind of mentioning at this point. Leah, what's better for a judge to have clear guidelines and mandatory minimums as to what sentence to impose for, for this certain crime, or is it better to have leeway in which in one county you could get a really stiff sentence and another county you may not for the same crime? Which is the better system? Well, I mean, we look at the the people being uh, the issues being addressed by this this uh, this proposal. Um, it's 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 judicial discretion. Is there's there's a little need for that here, where you look at the person in the eye and you say, is this someone who needs treatment and could benefit from that, or is this a person who's been back here many times before and is really it's not it's not safe to put them back on the streets again? So I would say discretion in this particular area, but that's a very good question. It depends on the depends on the crime. I'd we could say. do a whole show on just that. <laughs> <I guess. Yeah. laughs> We're going to get to our last topic. Governor Kasich says he hired the best man for the job, who just happens to be African American. The appointment means Governor Kasich will not be the first governor since 1962 to have an all-white cabinet. The governor this week named Michael Colbert as the permanent director of the state's Department of Job and Family Services. Colbert had been that agency's interim director. Michael Cole, will this satisfy critics that were complaining that the cabinet was not diverse enough um, or at all? I look at it from two ways. Here we have a governor who has a, a cabinet staff of 21 folks, 17 of them men, four of them women, one African-American. Um, I look at it from two different perspectives. From 
Kasich's administrative perspective, it's a win-win. It's actually a reactive win-win, right? Mm -hmm. He responded to the OLB, OLBC concerns and other legislative concerns about diversity and lack of it on, in his cabinet. And he uh, replaced them with sound leadership, folks that have an institutional strong knowledge of how to run the department. Uh, even John Houston did the same thing with Doug Lumpkin, mm -hmm. um, replacing somebody with sound institutional knowledge. So they are qualified. Mm -hmm. From the OLBC perspective. Ohio Legislative Black Caucus. Yes, the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus. My apologies. Mm -hmm. um, I look at it as a political lament more than it is political agenda. I think if I'm more concerned with political agenda and strategy, I'm looking at House Bill 1. I want to know where there's minority inclusion in that piece. What does your council of people look like who are going to be making decisions on the direction economically of this state? That's my concern. Folks need to get jobs yeah. and get back to work. Leah, did, was this a reactive move by John Kasich, or is this what he had planned all along? I don't know. I see it as, uh, as, uh, as Michael says, as a win-win in some ways. I mean, he said he's not doing symbolic appointments. So this, uh, this appointment, this person, is, we know, is really well qualified and, and able to do it. Or the other side of it is he listens to the uh, Legislative Black Caucus. And that, that, to me, would be a good thing, too, that that, that uh, organization has some power in the state. What, what I think is, is important here, though, is that the governor wised up enough to realize that diversity is not a quota issue. And okay. I think that is what his problem has been. This is why this story will not die and became a national issue for him. Well, it's not so much because he had not hired any racial uh, diversity within his cabinet. It was his defense uh, of such by linking diversity as a quota issue. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, and this week he finally said okay yeah i get it diversity is I, I get it all right and that's 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 what this issue was okay. you know really i think we should give reggie credit he wrote the first really yeah. good story <laughs> <on this. laughs> but this was a fight Kasich didn't need to have right. yeah, he knows right. better it's a uh, an example of Kasich leading with his chin yeah uh, yes. and i don't know if he'll do that again because he didn't have a reputation in congress for being this way he was good buddies with ron dellums one of the most liberal African-American members of the U.S. House. we got to get to our off-the-record parting shots. Leah Sellers, just 10 seconds this week because we're running short on time. How about two words? Steely McBeams. Who's that? The, the uh, mascot for the Steelers. Oh, okay. I Michael. stumped you, Mike. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Steelers were too good for mascots. Uh -oh. Go ahead, Michael. Um, I, you know, to go back to that comment about uh, leading with one's chin, uh, my parents used to tell me a hard head makes a soft behind. I hope this administration doesn't have to learn it the hard way. Bill. Happy birthday on Sunday to Ronald Reagan, number 100. He was a Republican who wasn't above taking Democratic ideas. We're all in this together, as Reagan knew, and we should all remember. Reggie, real quick. Being a Cleveland Browns fan won't allow me to pick the Steelers, <laughs> so Packers will win Sunday. <laughs> that is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check us out online. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Connect to all that at WOSU.org slash COTR. For our crew, for our panel here at WOSU at COSI, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.